The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hello, Bleeding Green Nation, and welcome back to another edition of Eye on the Enemy, powered by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I'm your host, John Stolness. You can follow me on Twitter, at John Stolness. And coming up, we got a couple of great interviews here on this episode of the podcast today. First, we're going to talk to Sports Illustrated senior writer Greg Bishop, who recently sat down with Bird's owner Jeffrey Lurie and GM Howie Roseman to talk about the team's philosophy on player personnel, the draft, how they hire a head coach, and Greg has a very big prediction to make about the Eagles 2023 season coming up here in just a few minutes. So we'll talk to him about that. After that, we're going to get an inside look at a team that is becoming one of our foremost enemies in the NFC, the San Francisco 49ers. What have they done this offseason? What is their prognosis for 2023? We're going to talk to one of the great 49ers minds out there, the host of the Gold Standard podcast, Rob Stats Guerrera. We'll hit the podcast here in just a few minutes as well. So lots to get to on this edition of Eye on the Enemy. Well, it's always great to get some outside perspective on what's going on with the football team. And this week, a great article by Sports Illustrated senior writer Greg Bishop on Jeff Lurie, Howie Roseman. He sat down with both those two guys, talked about, you know, their relationships and some of the some of the ways that they are so very different in this NFL compared to other teams. And and the reason what one of the reasons why this team has had the success that it has had over the the last few years and especially in 2022 looking at good things here also in 2023 and greg joins me now here on eye on the enemy to talk about his article and uh what he gleaned from his discussions with howie roseman and jeff Lurie. greg thanks for coming on eye on the enemy how are you i'm doing well thank you for having me I, i should just apologize to start off to the eagles fans who did not like me picking them to win the super bowl next <laughs> Um, my, uh, social media definitely was indicative that maybe it was not a popular choice. And so I'm sorry, uh, right off the bat. See, that shocks me that you got some negative pushback. I mean, I understand the whole jinxing mindset and all that kind of stuff, but usually when, when we're, and I, and I believe you that your pick is, is football related and legitimate and everything else. But usually when we're pandered to like that, we, we soak it up. We are a thirsty fan base. We, we love that, Greg. So I'm, I'm shocked to hear you got any, any blowback from that. I even heard from my college roommate's younger brother who said, I can't believe you did this to me. No, no. Yeah. Like, like you wield that much power. Like you, 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I think that everyone who knows me in my immediate family would say that nothing I predict ever comes true. So there, maybe there's that too. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, and, and you, you are looking at, a t- at an Eagles team here that, I mean, listen, objectively, very easily could win the Super Bowl in, in 2023. And I, I'm sure that in your discussions with, with Jeff Lurie and Howie Roseman, um, there was a, they have to be feeling good about where they are, even as disappointing as the Super Bowl finish was last year, how, how they're looking towards 2023. But before we kind of look at, at this coming season, did they talk at all about the Super Bowl loss? And, and if so, did you get the sense that it was still burrowing inside their brains at all like it is for many of us? Yeah, I think that, you know, a loss, not just in the Super Bowl, which is huge in and of itself, and I think would leave sort of a lasting imprint. Um, I think that's bad in and of itself. But then you also have the idea that this was a game that they had, you know, they were ahead. Uh, Patrick got hurt, you know, right before halftime. It certainly seemed like everything was lining up. In fact, I I do our Super Bowl cover every year. I've done the last nine, including Mm -hmm. the Philly special and you know, we were getting ready for like, what are we going to do for Eagles? You know, because I yeah. have to be ready either way. So we we had an outline. Uh, we were sort of getting the top ready and all these things were going to fall in place. And oh. then Patrick Mahomes happened. Again, my apologies to start off this way. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think I think that that leaves a mark, you know. Yeah. And what we have seen, and, and one thing I considered when I wrote the piece that you're talking about recently was, you know, sometimes that kind of mark, you know, a 28 to three, I covered that game, mm. you know, Patriots came back to beat the Falcons can, can be something that lingers. I think the difference here starts with partly what I wrote about with an organizational philosophy that, you know, they are going to take risks. They're going to do what they can to improve their team. And sometimes like in 2020, it doesn't go that well. Other times you give yourself a chance to win and in a league that's designed for teams to go seven and nine, eight and eight, nine and mm-hmm. seven, although you need to add a game to all those because my math was off there. I know. I can't take the, I can't <laughs> take the 17 game schedules either, man. Yeah. I think that, you know, to have a chance every year, to have a chance every five years, I like, I, I really find myself drawn to that part of the philosophy because I think that there's, you know, there's there's value in being solid every year. Look at the Seahawks, maybe since they've um, you know since they went to the Super Bowl. Now it was almost ten years ago the one they lost, and you know they don't ever seem like a team that has a that's going to win or has a chance to win. Whereas the Eagles have a bit more of an up and down, mm-hmm. but when they're good, they're really good. And yeah. I think there's no reason to look at this roster and not think that you know they'll have every chance to contend. I think one of the more interesting quotes from your story was after a question you asked Jeffrey Lurie about what it is that he fears. And I think, you know, he seemed as if he'd never gotten that question before. So what what did he tell you when you asked him as an owner, what is it that he fears? It was kind of funny because he took a minute. You know, I think a lot of times in those interviews, they're sort of anticipating what questions are coming. Yeah. He he turns and says, I, I don't really, I've never been asked that before. And you're looking at a guy who recently won an Oscar, who went to the Super Bowl. That's right. There's no shortage of life uh, or career accomplishments. And so, you know, I, I imagine he doesn't get that question a lot in his daily life. And yet, I think I asked it in the context of somebody like Doug Peterson. You know, this is a guy mm. that won the Super Bowl that's a respected and lauded coach in the NFL. 
And they just decided at a certain point that, you know, he's, Jeffrey actually said, I don't want to use the word stale, but that means it was in his brain that, that they needed some sort of change and spark. And so they did what I think most teams in the NFL wouldn't do. And they went out and got another coach. And to me, that just speaks to the philosophy that they have, which is unflinching, unsparing, and, you know, grounded in risks that make sense to them. And so his answer to the question was essentially, you know, he's, he's scared of, of being true, too traditional, of, mm. of success birthing what often happens, which is, you know, patterns uh, that are um, reliable in some ways, but uh, have lower ceilings than others. And so I think what you saw this offseason was an extension of that answer. You know, this is a team that not afraid to wheel and deal in the draft, not afraid to go out and get like a running back like Swift, not afraid to build not afraid to sign Jalen Hurts to the kind of contract that should make any team and <laughs> nervous uh, just because it's a ton of money. And I think that that was a really interesting thing. And the, the other side he added, I'll add as an aside here was uh, he wants the airplanes to be safe. So we're all with you there. Mr. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think one of the things that makes the Eagles so unique and when you talk about risks, you, there are most owners are, are with their football teams. They're conservative. I think that's one of the points you really hammer home here in this article and some of the stuff that Jeff Lurie is really pushing back against. But also that trickles down to the general manager and most general managers are risk averse because for one of the main reasons is that if you take a big risk and you whiff, you're going to lose your job. Howie Roseman has already survived two or three big cycles of whiffing. And kept his job because of the confidence that Jeff Lurie has in him. And I would imagine, Greg, that has to give Howie Roseman such a feeling of autonomy and security to be able to go out and do things that other general managers might want to do, but may not feel like that they can do because they're worried that their owner doesn't have their back. Yeah, that's a great question framed perfectly because to me that's the eagles in a nutshell right like there's a lot to unpack there the first thing is the nfl is a copycat league it remains so and so you have a lot of teams that say you know we go against the grain we have a distinct philosophy and almost anyone who says that is lying you know they (laughs) don't do it in practice what they say they're going to do and the eagles i think you know I spent a little time with Howie before the Super Bowl. We did a long walk around the grounds of the hotel and I really kind of pushed him, right? Because there's been a couple of things with fans over the last couple of years uh, where he's responding to them. Some were funnier, some more serious. And I just wanted to know, like, what's it like to survive as a general manager in that city in the mm-hmm. NFL uh, to have success, but to also have seasons where people want your head and, you know, to, to be able to think, you know, like even even the one last season where he stopped to talk to the fan who was heckling him, you know, essentially the point was, I thought, very fair. Like, what more do you want? We gave you a Super Bowl five years ago. We're back in it again. Uh, I think most fan bases would kill for that kind of track record. And yet you're right. Like his job is on the line every season in a place where they're not necessarily thought of as forgiven to people that make those kind of decisions. And so I see that a little bit in Seattle where I live, you know, John Schneider and Pete Carroll have a track record that I think is pretty unassailable and mm-hmm. get stronger. And yet when they let Russell Wilson go, you would have thought that the uh, sky was falling here with all the clouds. And uh, 
I think that it's similar with Howie in that, like, he really truly does not seem focused on the reaction, which I think stems from the support he gets from Jeffrey Lurie. And I think it stems from the fact that this has worked, you know? Yeah. But if you're going to take more risk, you're going to open yourself up to greater rewards, but greater, greater heights to fall from. And so you've seen both of them. The question, I think, at the center of all this is, would you rather be a team that's special every five years or consistently just below special all the time? That's a problem that I think, you know, we saw in the NBA with the with the, the Sixers and the process and a number of teams. We've seen it in Major League Baseball with teams that will, t- quote unquote, tank in order to kind of hit rock bottom to build up because that that is the nightmare scenario for any franchise, just to consistently be okay. You know, and it's because I think a fan base will sit there and they'll watch a team struggle if they know they're supposed to struggle with the idea that here are the steps we're going to take to move up. Now, you can't be a team that struggles for 20 years either. I mean, we've seen NFL teams do that. We've seen NFL teams that like the Texans who just can't get it right. And there are any number of reasons why most of that stems from the ownership. I think in every sport, when you're, when you've got an owner that's not willing to either put out money or that is too conservative or is making decisions when they shouldn't be making decisions, that's, that's an issue. Do you get the sense that Jeffrey Lurie allows Howie Roseman to kind of do his thing and is, and, and kind of stands off to the side or does he, does, how do you find their working relationship as you interview them? Yeah. You know, I, I look at it like this, like I think NFL owners lose a lot more games than they win, yeah. you know, uh, sometimes that's for meddling. Sometimes it's for running a poor organization and making bad hires. Sometimes it's for staying too entrenched. And I think Jeffrey Lurie is a fairly involved owner, but he's not involved in a way that I think is meddlesome. Mm. You, know, you look back um, quite a while ago now at the at the year that Howie took off, the gap year. I mean, that was not his choice. That was Jeffrey Lurie saying, you know, this isn't going to work with Chip. You're going to have to take a year off. You need to learn from this experience. So that to me indicates that he's doing a lot more than just saying, okay, you know, this is your team. Go build it. He's saying you have to be at your absolute best. But, and I think this is a really important but if I were an Eagles fan, when 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 everything is satisfied within that decision making calculus, when he thinks that Howie is doing the job that he wants him to do, then I think that Jeffrey Lurie is hands off. And I think that's really important, right? Like you want to put the guy in a position to succeed, but you also want to make sure he's ready to be successful with what you've given him. And mm-hmm. so, you know, being really involved on the end of making sure everything's in the right spot to go for it and then letting him actually go for it. I imagine that that's hard, you know, like I think of my own kids, right? They're five yeah. and 15 months and, you know, you want them to have resiliency and you want them to, to know what to do, but you also don't want to interfere so much that they don't learn anything. Right. And I think that the way he's done it, I think is really, to me, it's sort of a deft touch. You know, this is a guy who could have blown up that part of the operation many times as well, but they seem to have a symbiosis, the two of them. And it was funny, even I asked, uh, I asked Howie, what, what would you ask Jeffrey? Because I was talking to him the next day and he said, ask him what the secret is to finding a great head coach, because they've obviously done it in a lot of yeah. ways, in a lot of different corners. And then he laughs and he goes, I don't know if I'm supposed to swear on here, but he says, you know, uh, he says, uh, 
and then tell him how he said, don't effing say anything. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, we can go with the effing. That's just fine. Yeah, it is. It is incredible. I mean, when you look back at the, at Jeffrey Lurie's uh, hiring practices, even going back to when he first when he first took over the team, Ray Rhodes was kind of an unconventional hire. Um, you had uh, 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 Andy Reid, no, who was on no one's radar when Jeffrey Lurie. Jeffrey Lurie discovered Andy Reid. I don't think he gets enough credit for being the guy who plucked Andy Reid out from the quarter. No, at that time, nobody was hiring quarterbacks coaches to be head coaches, and he he, he deserves a lot of credit for that. And then Doug, Doug Peterson, we, everybody was laughing at the Doug Peterson hire when he first – same thing with Nick Sirianni. And I'll tell you, for, for a good portion of 2021, it looked like Nick Sirianni was going to be a one-and-done head coach until they turned things around. So – uh, it's it's fascinating that the hiring process and everything you hear is just the thoroughness with which they do it is is really how it gets done. And they don't have a preconceived notion of who should get the job or what kind of a coach should get the job before they do it. It's it really is fascinating. And so oops, go ahead. Yeah, well, 100 percent. And I'd, I'd even add a couple of things to that. Like when you look at risk, right, as it relates to the Eagles and how they run their franchise. You know that you can get lampooned for hiring Doug Peterson, and then you can get lampooned for firing him a few years later. <laughs> that's right. You know, that speaks to like we're going to do what we think is right, no matter what. The other thing that I think is interesting related to what you just said, um, you know, I wrote a little bit in the piece, and I would have written more if they won the Super Bowl about Sirianni being in Florida when the interview process is going on, uh, him getting summoned essentially for a last minute job interview at Lurie's mansion and pulling up in his rented white minivan <laughs> and then running the general manager and the owner through like route concepts in a mansion uh, living room. And I think that that speaks to the same thing. And, and what's interesting and ties a nice bow on everything you laid out is they said in that moment that Nick reminded them of Andy. And I uh. thought that was pretty interesting in terms of the symmetry they got that gut feeling that like this guy can communicate, he can teach. We like his philosophy. And ultimately I think they've picked head coaches as well as any franchise in the NFL. Every head coach that they've picked, even Chip Kelly has taken them to the playoffs yeah. at some point during their tenure since, since buddy Ryan. I mean, I mean, they've, he didn't do buddy Ryan, but every head coach since buddy Ryan has taken them to the playoffs at some point in their tenure. And Jeffrey Lurie is responsible for a large part of that. So at the end of the day here, Greg, you, you talked to how you talked to Jeff and you've seen the, the, the moves the team has made in the off season, the roster that they're bringing back. Uh, Jalen Hurts' contract certainly uh, has ensconced him as this team's franchise quarterback moving forward. It seems like everybody in the league wants to come play for Philadelphia at this point. So, you your prediction you mentioned it at the top of the at the top of the interview Philadelphia Eagles Super Bowl champions this coming season your confidence level on that i mean it sounds like you're you feel sounds like you're planting a flag yeah oh yeah it's planted uh for good uh, or for worse uh you know we'll have to see how it goes you know i'd say the only only two things concern me about that team and that roster the first is the emotional letdown that we discussed and that's hard to quantify yeah, And certainly not something we could objectively say will happen, but I think it's on the table that it could have an impact. The other thing I think is when you look at the strength of last year's team, you know, beyond like uh, the completeness and versatility and the quarterback, to me it was that they have all these mainstays on both lines. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's Fletcher Cox, it's Lane Johnson, it's uh, Jason Kelsey. And I do think that there will be, come a point when those guys actually get old you know yeah. and yeah. so i think there's a little bit of risk baked into that you mm -hmm. know like 
will those four guys be those four guys? You know, how he told me he thinks Lane is the best right tackle maybe in NFL history. And then you throw in a guy like Kelsey. I mean, what's not to love? Uh, And then, you know, the two guys on the defensive line. And so, you know, I think it helped that they, that they made some picks and spent some capital in those places. I think it helped that they, you know, re-signed Bradbury, you know, bad call in the Super Bowl, notwithstanding. I think there's no reason to think they won't be as good or better than they were last year. (laughs) You know, the other thing that gets lost a lot, I think, is Jalen Hurts' relationship with Brian Johnson. You know, Brian for his dad growing up in Houston. And last year was the first year that Jalen had since high school where he had the same offensive system and the same coaches in place. So there's no, and I, I met with him last December out in Philadelphia and wrote a story and we're working on another one right now. Actually, I was with him in Oklahoma last week for his ah. graduation. And, uh, you know, I, I just think that like he really emphasized more than anybody in the outside that's looking at that team and the season upcoming, you know, just how much continuity helped him, you know, like in terms of like, yeah, they have AJ Brown and yeah, they're, they have Devonte Smith and yeah, they're, they're sick on offense and, you know, <laughs> And they added Swift in the offseason, but it also just helps like knowing the plays and having familiarity. And he he couldn't say enough about Brian, which was no knock on Shane last year, just that, you know, there's a familiarity and comfort level there. And he said that Brian can speak to him honestly in a way that maybe other people don't. And then you throw in Nick and his offensive mind, the moves they made this offseason. I mean, I just, yeah, I'd say my confidence level is high. And I'd also say, uh outsider's confidence in my picks is generally not (laughs) (laughs) i hear you well you won't be the only one i'll put it that way there will be a number of people picking the eagles to win the super bowl i would say 95 percent of them coming from philadelphia but there'll be a fair number of national media i'm sure who are also picking the birds uh this this coming year sturdy lynn that i'm out on yeah exactly exactly right well folks check out the article at sports illustrated uh greg does a fantastic job laying this all out and uh it's a terrific interview that he did with howie roseman and uh with jeffrey Lurie. uh do you have a twitter greg how can people find you on the computer yeah, it's Greg Bishop SI. And, uh, you know, with uh, Jalen's going to be in our NFL preview issue, I think it's safe to say at this point. And mm-hmm. so um, they can look forward to that, too. And also, I probably wrote 15,000 words on the Eagles uh, for the Super Bowl cover that didn't run. So you may see some other stuff uh, coming out in that regard as well. That's a shit. Super Bowl cover would have been really nice to see, man. Oh, man. Oh, well. I'll get another crack at it this year, I think. But, Greg, thank you for coming on Eye on the Enemy and uh, sharing the story with us. I appreciate it. Uh, Thank you for having me. I appreciate that, too. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One of the things that I want to do this offseason is get a sense of how some of the Eagles' main competition in the NFC 
is getting ready for the season, some of the moves they've made in free agency, what their draft looks like, and get a feel for what the fan base is thinking about their team heading into training camp in a couple of months. And joining me, no better guy to talk about that stuff with regards to the San Francisco 49ers than good buddy Rob Stats Guerrera. Uh, he's the host of the Gold Standard podcast, talking about the 49ers. Uh, you also will hear him on ESPN Radio once in a while. You can always follow him on the Twitter machine at uh, stats on fire. I lost it there for a second. I want to make sure I didn't, <laughs> didn't fumble the Twitter handle. Rob, thanks for coming back on Eye on the Enemy, buddy. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to talk to you. No better guy to talk to about the Niners. And we'll just get the we'll talk about the elephant in the room just right off the bat. I know Eagles fans uh, are there's a growing animosity. It feels like between the Eagles fan base. And the 49ers players, I don't know if the 49ers fans have any kind of uh, any uh, how they feel about the Eagles after the NFC Championship game last year, how things went down, the quarterbacks getting hurt and all of that. And a game that everyone expected to be close turned out to be non-competitive by the end for a multitude of reasons. But of course, the quarterbacks being a, a big part of that. But what's rubbing Eagles fans the wrong way is how a lot of the 49ers players are talking about that game and seeming to say, you know, the fact that Brock Purdy got hurt in, was it was it early in the second quarter now? I'm not remembering. Or was it late in the, it first, the quarter? first quarter? Yeah. When he went down, how the 49ers, it's basically like we didn't have anybody at that point. And so the, the, the perception by Eagles fans and by myself is that you've got a lot of whining going on by 49ers players. Do 49ers fans think that their players are whining is it a legit beef is, is or is it somewhere in between what's your take on how 49ers players are handling that loss in the months after so for me it's both right i totally understand why they were like look we never even got the chance to see who was better well i get that i understand that brock purdy went down then josh johnson went down and they literally ran out of quarterbacks but also like shut up about it now like it's <laughs> over you lost the Eagles didn't do anything wrong. They It wasn't a dirty play that took out these quarterbacks. Like, you lost. It's over. The Eagles, you know, if they had won the Super Bowl, they wouldn't have to give the trophy back. Like, it's done now. Just stop talking about it. And I feel like what I'm worried about is that they are too focused on the Eagles. They're yeah. going to be too concerned about that Week 13 matchup. Like, that is one of 17 games. You can lose that game 100 to nothing and still win the Super Bowl. But the way they are all talking about it and focused on it, it's like they want to prove to everyone that they could have won or they would have won. And to me, it's like, don't that's over with now. This is a new season. Worry about that. And I totally get that. And I feel like 49ers, the 49ers players who have been complaining about this just aren't remembering kind of the order in which things went down because they didn't lose Josh Johnson until midway through the third quarter when the, you could kind of see the game getting out of hand at that point. You know, it was the, the, the Eagles offensive and defensive lines really controlling the line of scrimmage from, from the start of that game. The running, the Eagles running game was doing whatever they wanted with the 49ers. And I'm sure Brock Purdy going down had some kind of a mental effect. But man, I tell you what, it, it, they're not talking very highly of Josh Johnson, you know, because there was <laughs> there was there was, a, there was a, a, a good stretch of that game where the 49ers could have and I could have understood like if it was 21 21 and Josh Johnson goes down and then the Eagles score 17 unanswered because there's just no one to throw the football. Uh, that would make more sense to me. But when but the game, the, the Eagles were kind of pulling away there with Josh Johnson at quarterback. And you, you it's not the first time a starting quarterback has ever gone down early in a playoff game. I'll point to Carson Wentz in 2019 against the Seahawks when he got hurt. And I don't remember Eagles players reacting 
the same way that 49ers players are reacting. So that's just, it, it's just, it feels like it's, you're like, you're right. They're just, they're putting way too much of their minds on this and they need to move on. Well, it's easier to accept that you lost, right? Because all oh, the quarterbacks went down. We weren't, we were still the better team, but the quarterbacks went down, you know? So I think there's some copium happening there <laughs> yes. with the 49ers. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was 14, seven and Josh Johnson, then, then the offense get the ball back at the end of the second quarter, looking to potentially, tie the score. And then Josh Johnson drops the snap and gives the Eagles offense, the ball at the 30 yard line. So yeah, like it, it was close for a minute, but I, I think that the longer Josh Johnson was in there, the more the Eagles would have pulled away. Josh Johnson. Yeah. He's, he's not, no, good. he shouldn't have been a start. He shouldn't have been playing quarterback in a playoff game to begin with. And I get Jimmy Garoppolo, Trey Lance got hurt during the regular season. You just, at a certain point, you run out of options at, at quarterback. And that's just unfortunate how that went. But um, yeah, just the whole, they're, they're my hate there. Who was it? Debo said one hit. They're my 100% hated team now because I <laughs> Debo said, said that. No, what, why? What did they do? They didn't do you know, whatever. Anyway, um, Oh, I do want to get your thoughts on what the 49ers have done during the offseason here. And, of course, the big move that they made was poaching one of the Eagles' best defensive players and getting Javon Hargrave for the defensive line. And one of the things I heard a couple of people talking about leading up to that game was outside of Nick Bosa, the rest of the 49ers' defensive front could largely be handled, and especially if you have a good offensive line, which which the Eagles do and which the Eagles the Eagles did at that point. Now with Javon Hargrave, you have another guy who's a big problem at a different spot in the line to to talk about. Does this how big an impact will Javon Hargrave have on the 49ers pass rush, or specifically on the defensive line? I think it could be massive because really what the 49ers are trying to do is they're trying to recreate the defense they had in 2019. What they had in 2019 was DeForest Buckner in the middle mm. and you had Bosa on one edge and you had D Ford on the other. So what would happen is Bosa and D Ford were so fast at getting back to the quarterback. They would force the quarterback to have to step up. The problem for opposing offenses was DeForest Buckner was pushing the pocket in the middle. So there was literally nowhere for quarterbacks to go and they just crumbled. Basically mm -hmm. they traded DeForest Buckner away. They drafted Javon Kinlaw. That has been a spectacular failure. And so they haven't had that same push up the middle to recreate what they see as the best version of their defense. Now with Javon Hargrave, they think they can get back to that. And their hope is that last year's second round pick Drake Jackson will be sort of that D Ford kind of speed rusher coming off the edge that they wanted to recreate what they had in 2019. Any other high impact moves in free agency that you really think will move the needle for a roster that already is one of the best in the NFL? Short answer. No, because <laughs> I, I was looking down the list. I wanted to make sure I wasn't missing somebody. <laughs> no, I think they are counting on a big, you know, an improvement from, draft class in 2022, you know, improvement from those players and also just improvement of the guys that they already have. They didn't have a ton of money to spend in free agency. I would love to see them go out and sign one of these veteran pass rushers that's still on the market, unique in Gonque or even Justin Houston, someone like that, because to me, depending on Drake Jackson is, is iffy, you know, if you mm. can find the cap room, make the extra signing and, and then you really have something on your defense but no in free agency they really did not make any uh, splash moves 
And in the draft, you mentioned they're going to be relying on a lot of the 2022 guys because I don't know how many Eagles fans realize this, but the 49ers did not have a pick in rounds one or two. They were only picking starting in round three. Mm-hmm. So how big of an how big of an issue is is that going to be this year? And what do you make of the picks that they made starting in round three? So the Niners have this weird kind of habit with a lot of their draft picks recently where they almost have like a red shirt year. And then the second year in the league is where you start to see some production from them. Like Aaron Banks started at left guard for the Niners last year. He was a second round pick two years ago that didn't even dress for a Mm -hmm. lot of the games in his rookie year. And he was a solid starter for them. So I think that that's what they are hoping, you know, so they get that impact, even though they didn't have a lot of picks in 2023, that they're getting going to get the impact from 2022. Uh, That's the hope anyway. This year's draft, uh, their first pick, Jair Brown, is a safety. I think he could end up starting for them over to Sean Gibson, who started last year. Mm-hmm. He's a very solid player. And one of the things I like about him is he's always around the ball. He's instinctive. He had 10 interceptions his last two years in college. He's, I think he's the only player in the country that can say that. Um, they really have have undergone a change in their safeties. They used to have uh, Jaquaski Tart and Jimmy Ward there who never made any big plays, but they never gave up any big plays either. Yeah. Which was okay, but sometimes you just need a turnover. And now they have Talanoa Hufanga and what I think is going to be Jair Brown, who may give up some big plays, but are also going to make some game-changing plays. Mm -hmm. At least that's my hope uh, with the Niners secondary. Yeah, and Tart obviously was had a cup of coffee with the Eagles in 2022, but uh, Mm -hmm. didn't end up sticking around. Um Last one, last thing we need to cover is the quarterback situation. And so the first question. Welcome to my world. Yes, I know. Right. I mean, I, I did. I wanted to spare you, you know, and give you a few minutes just to kind of spread your wings on some other areas of the team. I'm sure never get talked about. But now we're going to talk about the quarterback <laughs> and we're going to spend some time here because it's a, the most important position on the field. For sure. We saw that in the NFC championship game without somebody who can physically throw the football. You've got problems. So with Brock Purdy, obviously, he underwent the Tommy John surgery, which as a baseball guy, I know. It takes you, it takes most pitchers a year and a half to come back from a Tommy John surgery, which begs the question. I'm sorry, was it, what were you going to say? Sorry, it's actually not Tommy John. It's not Tommy John. Okay. So Tommy John surgery is when the ligament, the UCL in your elbow is so messed up that they just get rid of it and they put a new ligament in there. That's not what they did with Brock. They actually fixed his original ligament. Okay. Okay. So it's UCL surgery with an internal brace is what they call it. I've now become an expert on this freaking <laughs> surgery. Um, and and what the Niners are selling you is that the recovery is much, much shorter than it would be if it was a Tommy John. Okay, so my mistake, and, and that's that's that leads to me to my what my question was going to be. What is the Brock Purdy timeline? I, I imagine there's no specific time, but do they feel he'll be ready for the start of the season? If not, how far into the season do they anticipate having him ready to go? So there's two separate parts of this is what the Niners are telling you and what they feel and what the reality is. The Niners are saying Kyle Shanahan recently said there's a hope he could be back at training camp. Now, what back specifically means in terms of his recovery, I don't know. Earlier this offseason in the league meetings, Kyle Shanahan said it could be until week four that Brock has to sit out. Brock himself was specifically asked if he has a sense that he'll return at all this season. And he said Honestly, I don't know. So literally nobody has any idea. We're going to get a big update next month in early June. That's when Brock is going to be cleared to start throwing a football. He cannot throw a football right now. He has not been cleared to do that. Kyle Shanahan said he's 
doing violent throwing motions, but he's using a towel instead mm-hmm. of a football, which, okay, I don't even know what that means. I do that every day when I'm doing the kitchen, man. Right. I mean, that's, I mean yeah. yeah, that's, you know, work on the delivery there. Yeah, but no. Yeah. So basically what's going to happen is this. Brock's going to start throwing a football in June. They will, doing a, they will do a check-in at that point. Like, hey, how's he throwing? Does his arm hurt after he throws? Like, where does he stand kind of a thing? And that will give them a much better idea of if he has a chance to be back by week one or if it's going to be something where he's not going to return till week four, halfway through the season, something like that. So we're going to know more next month. But right now, honestly, nobody has any idea. And of course, uh, there's a guy named Trey Lance who they spent a ton of draft capital a couple of years ago to move up and go get who has never established himself uh, either due to injury or due to lackluster play. I was reading some of the stuff, I think, on your Twitter timeline earlier today about how his throwing mechanics were so (laughs) messed up that he's one. He basically needs to if he has three straight days where he's throwing the ball really hard, he needs to take a fourth day to rest and ice his arm, which is not something that an NFL quarterback, really any quarterback should should have to do. What is the what? What is Trey Lance's? Uh, I mean, if does he look like the odds-on favorite? Do you think to start the season right now? Honestly, like I have no idea. And this article that just came out on Friday morning is chock full of stuff that makes me go, "What the hell were the 49ers thinking?" Like you said, he needs to ice his arm after three heavy days of throwing. He just turned twenty-three years old. <laughs> Tom Brady's older than dirt. He could throw for seven years and not have to ice his arm. Something is really weird there. And if it was this weird and off and and unique, how did the 49ers not see it? How could they have felt comfortable drafting this guy third overall? So there's so much weirdness around Trey Lance. They signed Sam Darnold in the offseason. They reached a contract agreement with him on the very first day of the legal tampering period. They love Sam Darnold, which is terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) Because I've seen Sam Darnold play football for a very long time, and he stinks. He has 90 combined fumbles and interceptions in 56 career games. That ain't the guy I want playing quarterback for me. But if Lance has this much work to do while rehabbing an ankle injury that required two surgeries to fix, I just don't know that he's going to be able to to fix all of that in one offseason, basically. And if they love Sam as much as they say they do, I think he has a real shot to start in week one, which gulp, you won't have to worry about the 49ers in the <laughs> NFC championship game again. I was going to say, that's an inconceivable projection here. I mean, to, to <laughs> think to think that this that this 49ers, which is so loaded everywhere else, and, and listen, Eagles fans, the 49ers have a great roster. They, they have a great roster. And even though they didn't really have any, they didn't add a first or second round pick this year, they only added Javon Hargrave in free agency, the, the roster was already so loaded. They didn't need to bring in a whole lot here in this offseason. But to the, the they have had a quarterback problem here. And it's, it is so funny. And I'm not going to Listen, the Eagles have been fortunate. You know, they they've kind of skipped from from franchise quarterback to franchise quarterback almost. Mm-hmm. And even when they won the Super Bowl, they got it with a backup guy who went unconscious for for a few weeks. So, I mean, the Eagles have gotten very lucky. And I think we have had our own quarterback wanderings in the desert for 40 days for 40 years, you know. We we've, we've had those, but I don't think we experienced anything like having a great roster and yet having this one position that's the most important that you just can't seem to get right. And as a 49ers fan, I got to imagine that's in, that's infuriating and frustrating, Rob. It's frustrating to me 
because I feel like you can't know if you got it right with Trey Lance until he plays. That's yeah. the, like literally we don't know. Nobody knows about anybody until they actually get on the field. And what's frustrating to me is that the 49ers do not seem to have the patience to actually let him play and figure it out. You know, everybody always talks about these quarterbacks that get drafted super high and they go to really bad teams and it takes years for the teams to build up around them, which is true. But during that time, the quarterbacks also get the kinks out, right? They get the rookie mistakes out of their system so that by the time the roster around them is ready to go, the quarterback is kind of the best version of himself. That's usually the normal way it goes when you get a quarterback and build up a team. But when you do it in reverse, like the 49ers have, where the rest of the team is built up around him already, then you get to the point where San Francisco is, which is, We don't want to wait for you to work out all those mistakes. We want you to come in and hit the ground running. Trey Lance obviously hasn't been able to do that. Brock Purdy did, which is why Mm -hmm. he's beloved in that locker room and by that coaching staff. It's just he has this injury now, and so we have no idea what to do with him. Such a fascinating, the 49ers are going to be a fascinating team to watch here um, over the next few months and at the start of the season. It's a team that could very easily win the Super Bowl and if the, they can't get a healthy quarterback in there who, who can play, it, it could be a 500 season for, for the 49ers and a, and a wild card. And, and then, you know, who knows, maybe you go on a run. But uh, it's, it, there are a lot of, lot of variants here, a lot of, lot of different ways it seems like the 49ers could go here in 2023. And there's really nobody better to keep you updated on where things are going to go, where they're heading and what they're doing, than checking out everything that Rob Stats Guerrera is doing. Go over on his Twitter, at Stats on Fire. Check out his podcast, The Gold Standard, to keep you up to date on everything going on with the 49ers, a burgeoning rivalry here uh, between our two teams and our two fan bases. Rob, thanks for coming on Eye on the Enemy. We'll talk to you again down the road, bud. Anytime you need me. Thank you. And that'll do it for this edition of Eye on the Enemy. My thanks again to Greg Bishop and for Rob Stats Guerrera for popping on the pod. And want to remind you all, check out everything we got going on over at Bleeding Green Nation and all the rest of the Bleeding Green Nation podcast we have here for you on the feed. You can find us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is you get your podcasts and leave a five-star rating and a review for Eye on the Enemy or for any of the shows that may happen to be your favorite. Let you know, let us know uh, what you think. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time here on eye on the enemy. B-G-N.